If you were with us this past Sunday, you made a journey with us as we journeyed toward the cross, where we heard about the Lord Jesus and his state, where he was being led to the place called Golgotha, known as the place of the skull. But he was a most peculiar man at that state because his body, unlike most criminals, was beaten and flogged and scourged and spit upon with a crown of thorns upon his head. But also alongside him where he was crucified were two robbers. And we talked about that, how poignant that is, that here were two men who had spent their lives taking, grasping, scheming, trying to take what was not theirs and appropriate it as their own now finding themselves without the ability to hold on to anything. And we also saw the crowd jeering and sneering and railing and reviling as Jesus hung there dying. But also we talked about these two men, how as they also hung there dying, let out a flood of fury and foulness at this man, the man the God-man, Jesus Christ. But this man in the middle, Jesus, he came teaching and preaching about many things. As he was doing his ministry, he talked about many things, but one of the most prominent of those was about a kingdom, about God's kingdom. He spoke of a kingdom where justice reigned, where peace not just kind of the absence of hard things, but shalom, this deep abiding sort of internal to self and existential with others, peace. A kingdom where the first would be last and the last first. A kingdom where the poor and destitute were welcomed in. A kingdom where repentance was marked by joyous celebration and the wanderer was welcomed home with a glad and loving embrace. As he spoke, his hearers were left, even those who did not particularly care for him, his hearers were left saying things, who has ever spoken like this man? And the scriptures remark that he taught as one with authority, not like the common scribes and Pharisees. Jesus, he spoke and he taught and he proclaimed as one with an inside-out sort of authority, one with a knowledge as though he had seen the other side and come back to retell what he had seen. Even John the Baptist, a peculiar yet powerful teacher of the time, he also proclaimed that the kingdom of God was near. And for the Jewish people of the time, this was not a foreign concept. God's kingdom, his rule and reign made manifest over the powers of the earth, this was everything to those people. They had the promises. They were the ones who had, been, who had grown up knowing the tales of what was to come, about how God one day would send a Messiah a redeemer, one who would take them from their current situation and make things new again. They knew 
what the kingdom of God meant. This kingdom was a kingdom of hope. It was a kingdom of purpose. It was a kingdom of belonging. This kingdom was a future. This kingdom was being brought back home. And so the kingdom and its coming, its arrival, it was the inauguration of making all things new. And so as I said, this would have not been any hidden sort of idea to any person of Jerusalem at this time. Whether you believed in God or not, the concept and idea was no way foreign to the average person. And so knowing this about the kingdom and the knowledge of the kingdom, we return to these three men, the man in the middle and the two on either side. And as I said on Sunday, I love to imagine what did these men talk about? And again, I'm aware that one being crucified probably doesn't have casual conversation. You know, like, man, it's kind of sunny out today, a little warm. But I can imagine Jesus being who he is was probably unrelenting to speak grace and life even as he agonized to these two dear men on either side. What might he have said? But as we discussed on Sunday, one of these men, one of these robbers has a vision of something that changes his heart. He starts to see with different eyes. He starts longing for different gains because he comes to an understanding that he cannot take what he really wants or what he really needs. He cannot obtain truly good things the way that he's been taking them. He finds that he longs for that which can only be given. And it is it is freely given. It can only be obtained by those who freely receive. And so this dying man, the one whose story we do not know. We don't know where he came from or who he was. We know very little about him except this sliver of time. But we could imagine knowing that all the scriptures prom- knowing all we know about what the scriptures promised about the kingdom of come and seeing all he, he had seeing all of his taking had had at last gained him nothing and knowing enough this man this robber knowing enough about this central man this innocent man this God-man now dying. Again, as I talked about on Sunday, you could imagine that this robber had to know enough about who Jesus was to have this conversation he has. He has to know enough about the kingdom to come to have this conversation. So in a way, he wasn't totally ignorant. 
But in this sliver of time, he goes from one who rails at and rebukes Jesus and really pours out vehemence upon to one who comes with humility and courage and faith and asks for what can only be received, which is where I'll read our text. And he said, he being the robber, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This man looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, there is something about you. You, Jesus, whose name implicit in it means the one who would come to save his people. Jesus, your kingdom, that's a statement of trust. It's not Jesus, when the kingdom comes, help me out. He attaches Jesus onto the kingdom of God. This is a statement of trust, believing in that which is yet unseen. This man is nailed to a cross. He is soon to die, but he says, Jesus, I trust that you are coming with your kingdom He makes the connection that this is God. God in the flesh, but God. And then he says, when? It's like he's saying, I know you will bring it into being. I trust you. I trust you're going to bring the kingdom into being. I trust that you'll make all things new. I trust that you really will give rest to weary souls. I trust that you really will usher in peace, shalom, whole person flourishing. I'm believing that you will spread out righteousness across the earth. I believe that, and I know you'll inaugurate it one day. It'll start one day. You'll bring it home one day. And that's the kingdom, Jesus. That's the kingdom I want part of. I'll place my lot there whenever that day comes. But Jesus, whenever that day's coming, I want in. To which Jesus' astonishing reply says, verse 43 of Luke 23 says, He said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Another way to say it, Jesus replies with something, maybe we can internalize this better, with something like, most certainly, with no lie, today is that day. The kingdom, the rule and reign of peace, shalom, righteousness, justice, freedom, the kingdom a future, a hope, a home. The kingdom, it's inauguration. It's being present here today. My being part of it today. How? How could that be? Which I'll take us to Luke 17, verse 20, where it says, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, 
For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Jesus' response to the dying thief is a continuation of what he had already told so many time and time again, that the beginning of the making all things new had come. The giving wanderers shelter and hopeless a home had already started. The propagation of peace and justice and righteousness had already begun. But most importantly, the restoration of right relationships with the kingdom's ruler and king, that, in this very moment, was being achieved. Jesus' assurance of today categorically shifts the thief's and our expectations about the inauguration of the Lord's reign and really down payment on the full restoration that is to come. The thief says, when, Jesus, when you come, when you bring your kingdom, when you start this inauguration of restoration of all things, including our own selves, in that day, Lord Jesus, remember me. And Jesus says, in effect, That day is now. But one word we've left out to this point, which I think is a beautiful word, a powerful word, that the thief says, Jesus, remember me. And to remember means to bring to mind, to pull back to conscious thought, to consider something, and usually to consider something past. The dying man is saying, consider me. One day in the future, think back to this and consider my plight, consider my request. Bring me back to mind. Bring me and my need back to your consciousness. Think about me. When your kingdom comes. To which Jesus could have said, and in a way did say, consider you. Consider you. Bring you to mind. Pull you into my conscious thought. Remember you. My son, I've been remembering you every day of your life. That's the reason we're here today. My son, I've been remembering you. I've been waiting for this moment all of your life. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him from before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, in which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, We have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Jesus is saying from time immemorial before the world even was that this thief and all of us who have trusted in Christ that we have been being remembered by the heart of God. The scriptures tell us that it was Jesus first who after giving up his spirit died. The other two, they suffered more. They suffered. Their legs were broken so that they would die quicker. Salvation is no escape from many of the hurts and harms of this life. But though both of these thieves suffered, one suffering was only a few, few more agonizing hours. And then, as Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise. May we all call out to be remembered, and if we have already done that, may we rest in his remembering us from time immemorial past and trust his heart that will always remember us for the infinite ages upon ages to come. Will you join me as I pray? Father, I pray, Lord, would you Remember us, your children. Holy Spirit, would you strengthen us by these words from your word and the greater understanding that you have been loving your people. You have been loving us from before the world ever was. Father, I pray for those who would say, Lord, I've trusted you, but it's been a lot recently, would you remind them that you are not forgetful, that you see and you know. Father, I pray for those who love you and treasure you, would you hearten them with the words that there is the kingdom and it is here and it is taking root and it is bearing fruit. And Father, I pray, would you bless those who don't know you with the gift of being able to say, Lord, remember me. Lord, welcome me. But Father, I pray, would you bless us as we observe communion together and go throughout the rest of the night. And Father, I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.